Uh, Let me read this passage to you. It's a very important one. Look what Paul says. Now, if anyone has caused you, look at this guy. Well, no, it's paper, so only $3. So, if you're like a real towel, that's five bucks, but all right. Um, I'll put that there so you don't have to look at that the whole time. So, now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you would rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you, reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are ignorant of his designs. It's interesting that Paul ties danger of being outfoxed by Satan to forgiveness, isn't it? It's fascinating. So, Basically, just make sure that you understand what's going on here. Uh, Forgiveness is only one of two ways. Get this now. Forgiveness is only one of two ways that we can be like Christ, if you think about it. Yes, we want to be like Christ, and we we try, but we're not like Christ in our thought life. Can you imagine if that were like broadcast to the world? Just our thought life? We can't be like Christ in the way we drive on 41. I've tried. I've never been able to do it. Often we're not like Christ in the way we treat our family or our children. Sometimes we are, but for the most time we're not. There's only two ways to be just like Jesus, and that is forgiving other people and then having compassion for them. Think about it. Those are the only two ways we can really be like Christ, and even then it's only for a limited time. Having compassion for somebody who's going through something you've been through and then forgiving someone for something they've done to you. So with that aspect in mind, I want to make sure you go through, as a reminder here, what we like to do in the garden. We look at three applications of Scripture every week. The first is the historical application. What about man? What does he do? Why does he do it? Then we look at the theological application. What about God? What did he do? Why and how did he do it? And then and only then, if you understand the history and the theology, can you even think about what the devotional application is? What about me? What am I supposed to do and how do I do it? So let's talk about the history. There is a mystery center in this passage. Now, I'll give you a little background. People, if you remember what we've talked about the last couple weeks, people in Corinth were slandering Paul, and in fact, they were slandering the Corinthian Christians who embraced Paul and the gospel. And there are some people coming in, some of them were Judaizers who were teaching, Paul is not really an apostle. You can't listen to him. His gospel is not real. You also have to be Jewish and trust Jesus. And there were many in the church that were pulled away by the slander. So there's people in the church. It'd be like somebody coming in and saying, don't listen to that moron Joe Davis anymore. Now, maybe that is good advice. I don't know. But the point is, what would happen is some of you would be pulled away. And then I'd say, hey, why are you guys ripping on me like this? Why are you guys abandoning me? And so what was happening, there were people who were doing this. 1 Corinthians was actually a letter written to correct some of these things and a bunch of other problems in the Corinthian church. And I don't know if you know this, but there was also a second letter that we've lost that we don't really have before. It was called what Paul called as a severe letter. Remember how 1 Corinthians was kind of rough? This in-between letter was even worse, like it was harsh. 
But those two letters were effective, and they led to this warm, loving letter in 2 Corinthians. And so what Paul basically does, he's trying to explain to them there was this man who was in there, and apparently this guy above all the others was causing all the discord in the church. This guy was slandering Paul more than anyone. This guy was preaching a false gospel to people more than anyone. And so Paul gave specific instructions to restore him. Now, we don't know the specifics about this person, but we do know that what he did was very public. Because Paul said what he has done has affected, and he says, I don't put this too severely, it's affected the whole church there in Corinth. It was most likely someone who had slandered Paul, not only in the church, but citywide. And what was going on is the Corinthians were following Paul's instructions, and they were handling this biblically. As a matter of fact, Jesus taught on this in Matthew 18, by the way, you know what we don't do a very good job of as Christians many times? We don't do a good job of following Matthew 18, 15 to 18. If a brother has offended you, go to him by yourself. If he's, here, if he's heard you, you've gained your brother back. If he doesn't, go with a friend. If he's heard you, you've gained a brother back. If he doesn't hear you then, go with a few more friends. If he has heard you, you've gained your brother back. If he doesn't, take it before the church. If he doesn't hear you then, treat him as someone who needs the love of Jesus, who needs the gospel. But we don't like to follow Matthew 18 because it takes a little courage to confront people. What we'd rather do is confront them behind their back, which is not really confronting them. It's backfronting them. I think it's new word, hashtag new word. So, but they were handling this biblically. And in fact, the sinner had repented, which was pretty amazing. So this man who had this very public sin of <clears throat> destroying Paul's reputation and, and messing up the gospel... He had been confronted publicly, and he had repented. But now Paul says, I want restoration. Basically, Titus had informed Paul that many were grieving over the pain that he had suffered because of this mystery man. People were grieving over the fact that, I love Paul. Paul's my boy. He planted this church. He, he shared the gospel of Jesus with me. He transformed my life. And this guy was slandering Paul. And I know it hurt my friend Paul. And there were people who were very upset about what he had done to wound Paul. The Corinthians loved Paul. <clears throat> they had his back, many of them, except for the ones who faded away. And their process of discipline was motivated by their love for Paul. Now, is that good or bad? It's probably not great. But regardless, they were doing it the right way. But Paul makes it very clear that he wants this person restored and restored completely. He says the sinner has suffered enough. In fact, he suffered more than enough. I don't want you to keep disciplining or else he'll get discouraged and he'll feel like he can never get back to where he was. I, Paul, am telling you it's over. Time to get back to living. He has received repentance. You have confronted him. He's handled it the correct way. And now I'm telling you, Restore him completely to the level that he was before his sin. I want everything exactly the way it was because he has suffered publicly for his sin. Time to get back to living. And what Paul does is he puts revenge. This is important, guys. Paul puts revenge, vindication, self-empathy, 
arrogant justice, all of that is squashed. And Paul recognizes that the pain this man caused him was irrelevant. The important thing was the health and welfare of the church in Corinth. Certainly Paul's ability to forgive this man is due to the fact that, if you know anything about Paul, he had been guilty of far worse sins. Not only had he slandered Christians, he'd beheaded them. He dismembered them. He bloodily executed them. So Paul, more than anyone, understood the power of forgiveness and restoration. And Paul loves his church family more than he loves his ego or his sinful vengeance. So what Paul does is he echoes God's forgiveness to him, to this man. He echoes it. Paul for, uh, God forgave Paul. So Paul in turn takes this forgiveness and echoes it back to this man. So that's the historical part. What's the theology? Jesus models forgiveness. I'm going to read this passage to you, and then we're going to look at a couple of things that Jesus did to start the forgiveness echo. You see, for an echo to begin, there has to be a sound first. <clears throat> for forgiveness to begin, there has to be forgiveness first. Look what Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to what we believe in, our confession. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This passage basically says to us, Jesus, the reason he was able to forgive us and willing to die for us is because even though he's God and he never failed, he knows how hard it is to be human. He knows. And because of that, we can come with confidence to Jesus. Jesus, you know, the other day I really messed up when I did that or I did that. I know you did. And trust me, it's hard. I forgive you. And that starts an echo. But before that can happen, I need you to understand a few things about forgiveness. The first thing is that Jesus submitted to a process. The scripture says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus knew that the process for forgiving us would not be easy. It's not just a declaration, oh, you're forgiven. 60s love, all is well. The forgiver, get this now, the forgiver actually must work as hard or harder than the forgiven. That's part of the reason why confrontation is so hard. That's part of the reason why we don't want to hold people accountable. It's too much work. But Jesus submitted to a process which was this. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So the process was death and resurrection. Which brings me to the next part about Jesus and his forgiveness echo that he started. He paid a price. He came down from heaven, gave up his place in heaven, became a man, and gave his life so that we could have forgiveness. So he submitted to a process. He paid a price. He endured pain. He subjected himself to the same things that we go through. One of the reasons we should be able to be forgiving of other people is because we have endured the pain of being wrong. But you know what else Jesus does? This is where we kind of aren't able to do this anymore. This is, this is where it becomes Jesus only. He makes forgiveness permanent. 
His forgiveness to us was not conditional, but declarative. You know what that means? I gave my life. I've shed my blood. And so if you go to church, and if you like the worship music, I'll forgive you. Is that what he says? <laughs> if, if I gave my life for you, that is what makes you forgiven. And it is a declared state, and it's permanent. Because it's not based on anything that we have done. His forgiveness for us is irreversible, and it is binding. And there is nothing the enemy can do to undo the fact that we have been forgiven. And you know what the enemy hates is when we start echoing that forgiveness. But here's what's so amazing about Jesus' forgiveness of us. You know, we like to really, yes, I love Jesus, and I know Jesus, and I'm forgiven because I trusted him. And we begin to want to take credit for being forgiven. But did you know that he initiates forgiveness through the Holy Spirit while we're dead in our sin? Ephesians 2, while we were dead, he quickened us and made us alive. He makes us alive. He draws us in. He gives us the gift of faith. God is not sitting with his arm crossed waiting for us to make the, I'll forgive you if you do this. I've had it with you humans. I'm going to wait till you do such and such, and then maybe I'll forgive you. God doesn't sit with his arm crossed. He stands with his arms open, and he draws us in. He calls us out of darkness into light, out of death into life. And he forgives us through the power of the Holy Spirit by giving us faith, which is what? It is a gift. And forgiveness is imparted to us through the process, with the price, and the pain made permanent, started, initiated by the forgiver, Jesus. Your forgiveness was not initiated by you. It was initiated by Jesus. So what is the devotional application for this passage? I want to talk about the ingredients in a forgiveness echo. Which is, by the way, what I hope we become, an echo of forgiveness. In my Sunday sermon preview I put on Facebook every week, I said the church should be a forgiveness echo. Let's look at the first thing. Forgiveness is orderly. There was a process for this man. Paul knew how important his apostolic authority was for the early church because the scripture had not been written yet. So he knew that he had to deal with this man's sin according to the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 18. There has to be confrontation. There has to be accountability. So we aren't just talking about love and forgiveness that compromises values or overlooks sinfulness. That's not forgiveness. That's ignoring. See, forgiveness has to have first a recognition of the offense. Forgiveness has to have a dealing with the offense in some way. Because if you don't do that, if you overlook the sinfulness, that's not forgiveness. You know what that is? It's laziness. It's a lack of courage. Because when possible, and sometimes it's not possible, but when possible, confrontation is part of forgiveness. And you know, confrontation is very humbling. Because if I come to you with what you're doing wrong, what's the first place you're going to look? 
What about you? I've seen you on the trail. You have to know going into a confrontation, okay, I've got problems too, and the very first shot is going to be right back at me. That's serving, isn't it? That's humility. That's loving someone saying, I'm willing to take a hit from you so that I can confront you so there can be forgiveness. So forgiveness is orderly. Forgiveness is selfless. I like what Jay Adams says. Forgiveness is the oil that keeps the machinery of the church running smoothly. I love that quote. Because forgiveness is selfless. The pain caused to the forgiver is not as important as the impact on the church. The kingdom is the real issue. Let me explain what I mean. Let's say that you've been wounded by someone. Your pain is not the issue. Oh, it's real. It's, it's, it's there. I'm not denying it. But your pain is secondary to the benefit and the welfare of God's kingdom and God's church. We should not let our thirst for revenge or vindication short-circuit the church's ability to recover. That's what Paul did. Paul said, I forgive him. You forgive him also. Then the next thing about forgiveness, it's merciful. You should be more eager to bring the joy of restoration than you are the pain of accountability. What we like is, I want that person. Um, give me an example. My wife and I went to this uh, on Friday night, went to the Cinebistro, right? And so it started off great, but we paid extra money for a 3D movie, you know, with the glasses and everything. I didn't pick the movie, so don't judge me. But she wanted to see Alice through the looking glass. That's not a man movie, I know, but whatever. So we went and saw it. I got the glasses on, and I take the glasses off, and it looks the same. I put them on, same. Honey, it's not 3D. Oh, yes, it is. Stop complaining. No, it's not. Yes, it I paid extra money for this. So what's the first thing I'm thinking? I want a refund for this ticket. I want, matter of fact, I want all my, I've, we bought like $80 of food. You know, I want all my food for free. And I want the next time I come to be for free. I want it to dole out justice to the Cinebistro. They deserve to be held accountable for what they've done to me. This ruined a perfectly good date night. My anger was through the roof. No, not really. It wasn't, I was, I'm in a recliner, you know, so it wasn't so bad, but <laughs> it was still kind of a thing where I was very eager to bring the justice. But that's how we are with our brothers and sisters many times, aren't we? I've been eager to bring justice on some of you. But you know what? I should be more eager to bring the restoration. Like, I'm going to get through, I don't, it should be like, I, I'm going to do the justice, but I wish I could just get that done so I can get right to the, I want to be restored. I want to forgive. I want to echo Jesus' forgiveness for me to them. So I, I got to deal with the orderly part of it. I got to confront and there's going to be justice, but I, I really don't want to do that. I just want to be restored. That should be our mindset with each other. And then forgiveness is comforting. Remember we talked about divine comfort a couple weeks ago? For you to have comfort it involves forgiving. Can you see how forgiveness brings comfort? Man, I'm so glad that conflict is over. And then the last thing, forgiveness restores joy. And remember we talked about joy last week? Joy is the supernatural satisfaction with God's presence. Can you see how then when we are not in a state of forgiveness, how we are not able to fully 
enjoy God's presence. But when we are in a state of forgiveness, when we have been restored with someone and we've begun to see that, rest, that, that relationship heal, now we can together enjoy and be supernaturally satisfied with the presence of God. And forgiveness restores that joy. Well, I want to be sure they never do it again. You can't have that assurance. The only thing you can be sure of is God's presence in your life. If you are placing your hope for joy in human consistency, you're not going to have supernatural satisfaction. You're not going to have joy. Matter of fact, the scripture says in Matthew, Jesus, how many times after Jesus gave the outline of how you're supposed to get, forgive, Jesus, how many times do I got to go through this process where I confront with a friend, then two friends, and three friends in the church, and then bring it back? And then how many times? He goes, do I, do I got to do it seven times? Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. So once you get to 490, come see me. 77, right? 490, that's right. So, and really what Jesus is saying is there is no limit to how many times you go through the process. Failure to forgive becomes a sin that steals your joy. And that's when Paul says, if we don't forgive, the enemy deceives us. I have another verse for you. I have some verses I'm going to put up on the screen. Hebrews 5, 1, 2, 3. For every priest chosen among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He, the priest, can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. You know what Paul is saying when he writes? I think it was Paul that wrote Hebrews. We're not sure, but I'm pretty confident it was. He's laying out what the job of the high priest was. Then he comes in with a big bomb and says, guess what? All of you are priests now, not just one or two people. All of you are. And all of you should be able to, to deal gently with the ignorant and those who are straying, since you yourself have been ignorant and have strayed. You yourself are weak. So therefore, you are obligated. You are obligated. Not only to make sure, you can, make sure your own sin is taken care of, but you need to make sure that you are obligated to be sacrificial for the sins of others. Here's another one. I love this one. Look what Paul says. Paul writes, he's, he's crafting this theology of forgiveness. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You must be a forgiveness echo. God forgave you. You need to echo that forgiveness to others. And understand there is a process. It is orderly, but it's selfless. It's merciful. It's comforting, and it restores joy. Now, I did this next one. If, if you guys can let Pastor Steve McConnell know that I did this just for him. There's a C.S. Lewis quote, you know, because he really likes them. <laughs> to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable. Because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Man, I wish I'd wrote that. Next time, I'm going to get a quote from C.S. Lewis and just put my name up there. See if you guys catch it. <laughs> that sounds too smart for you, Pastor Joe. There's no way you say That's C.S. Lewis. Be a Christian means you forgive the inexcusable. Guys, let me explain that a lack of forgiveness produces burden 
in you that hinders your joy, hinders your love, hinders your growth. When we echo God's forgiveness to us, it encourages others to echo our forgiveness. And when that happens, it becomes a positive feedback loop of forgiveness, grace, and healing, and mercy. And I use that phrase, feedback loop, positive feedback loop. I want to make sure that you understand what I hope happens in the church. That there is so much forgiveness. Understand there's an order to it. But we all have courage to confront those who have offended us in a way that is loving and humble. And there's so much forgiveness as we're going through this process, as we forgive someone else because Christ forgave us, they're motivated to forgive someone else. And they're motivated to forgive someone else. And they're motivated to forgive someone else. And this forgiveness becomes almost contagious. And it's echoing off each other. And we create in the church this forgiveness echo. And so with that in mind, what we decided to do today, and the band can come back up, what we decided to do today, we're going to end with the same song that we ended the worship set with.